I had a little bit of a cold this week. And coming out of it, even once I felt better, I realized that when I would get up in the morning, I, can't, I, I had one day at least where I just couldn't breathe as deeply as I wanted to. And when we yawn, one theory for the reason that we yawn is it forces a really deep breath that opens up all the little sacs in your lungs, the aveola, to inflate fully. It's just a way to force your lungs to kind of reset back to full capacity. Um, and I just know I, I couldn't quite do that. And it feels a little bit constricting, like something's pushing on your chest. Um, and I was thinking how many, how many of us have experienced maybe spiritually times mm-hmm. where you feel that inability to breathe deeply and to draw the spirit in and to breathe in the spirit and live in the spirit. And maybe where, you know, like I'm supposed to do this, but I just don't have the capacity. And when we're walking in step with the spirit, we know we don't have the capacity, but the spirit's with us to bring it. Um, so it's just an interesting comparison, um, which if you've been paying attention to the songs this morning and that brief illustration right there, um, you probably know one of the themes that comes from this word spirit. So we'll talk a little bit about the words that are used in the Bible for the spirit. In a lot of the scriptures I'm going to read, I'm going to use the that Hebrew uh, mostly or the Greek word because... In English language, we use several different words, and in the Hebrew, often it's one specific word for the whole picture. And Hebrew is such a it's just it's such a metaphorical language almost. Usually words are used for lots of different purposes, and the, the writers of the scriptures choose them deliberately so that you'll see the other layer and the other layer, and you meditate and it reflects and you ask questions. Um, And it captures maybe a little bit more, as much as you can in spoken or written language, the identity and concepts of God um, that we're trying to be uh, instructed uh, from. I kind of feel like we imagine that day when our minds are open and we fully understand. I think maybe a part of that is maybe we'll actually understand the language that that the scriptures are written in. We'll kind of get some of the things. And I think despite the thousands of years of scholarly interpretation at our fingertips now and our devices, there's still things that we've missed that will be these light bulbs going off. So in all of the video lessons we've done, the times we've mentioned it before, I'm just curious if anyone remembers right now um, the Hebrew word that's used for the spirit in the Bible. Ruach. Ruach. That's correct. (laughs) So you're going to hear that word a lot, but it means several different things. And then when we use New Testament scripture, it, Turned out kind of convenient when uh, um, the New Testament was written in Greek because the word, does anyone know the Greek word? Pneuma. And it was also used to mean several of those different meanings. Um, so it's a, good, it's a good comparison as we switch into the New Testament. Um, but it means several different things. So I'm usually going to say Ruach in the scriptures so you can hear it and think about the many different ways that it could be used, uh, mean. Um, but it's also, it's, it's, it's one of those Hebrew words that almost you can hear or feel the meaning. Ruach. It's almost like you're breathing out. And uh, so that is one of the meanings, um, is breath. There are a couple times where a verb or a different word is used. So I'll use, I'll use the English word for that just for clarity. But um, as we go through, we'll listen. So the first part, like I said, is kind of this vocabulary 
skeleton um, that we'll build just so we understand the different ways that Ruach um, or that spirit or Numa is used in the Bible. So one, we've covered this in some of our songs this morning. I already discussed it in an illustration, is breath. And uh, if we right at the beginning of the Bible, we can hear that in Genesis 2-7. Um, so if you uh, just listen or if you do turn there, this is the creation story when God actually created man. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So there were some different words used there, not ruach, but it's that concept of God breathing life into humanity and into mankind. But then we hear it a few other times in the Old Testament where the word ruach specifically is talking about breath and that breath of life, the thing that brings us physical animation and gives us the strength and ability to exist in the physical world. Job 27.3, he said, as long as my breath is in me and the ruach of God is in my nostrils. Um, and there he's calling a little bit, he's, he's calling back to that creation God has breathed into Job the life that he has, and he's saying, well, as long as it's here, and he's referring to God's, uh, God's presence in the breath to bring him physical life. Ecclesiastes makes mention of this concept again. Uh, as the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the ruach returns to God who gave it. Kind of picturing that last moment when we breathe out our last breath, the breath returns. It's no longer in us. It's no longer in our physical person. So this is a distinct, this is the distinct concept of the physical breath. This isn't talking about the other definitions we'll get to in a moment. Um, and then in Job, Job even, even clarifies that all of the breath that's in the world, all of the physical life that's in the world is here because God breathed it. And it's maintained because he allows it to continue functioning. In Job 34, 14 to 15, Job said, If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his ruach and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. So the concept in the scriptures that ruach is the breath, the breathing, that physical thing that gives us motion and animation. But then the next time we hear this quite frequently in the Old Testament is a different, uh, a different meaning. Ruach is also used to refer to wind, invisible force that pushes through the world, that rattles the leaves, that, uh, that brings changes in weather. In 1 Kings, uh, you might remember this moment when Elijah um, set a, an Olympic record for sprinting. In 1 Kings 18, 45 to 46, it said, In a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and ruach, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. At one time when he outran a chariot. It's one of those classic little moments in the Bible. We say, it's just a crazy, crazy story. But there, the word ruach is used to describe the weather and the wind starting to blow as a storm was coming in. In Genesis 3a, a lot of our modern translations um, interpret to, to understand it. it doesn't really quite make sense in the sentence. So a lot of times we use a different word. Um, we use the word cool. Um, so you'll recognize it here. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the ruach of the day. 
And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So here, again, even though we're talking about the wind, a lot of modern translations say cool because just thinking with the wind of the day, what does that mean? Maybe it's when it's cool, it's in the evening. Um, but even just thinking of God's presence in the garden, also at a time when there's wind blowing, starts to connect the other meanings of the word ruach. Um, but this was the moment, um, of course, unfortunately, we see the contradiction where God's presence is in the garden, where the wind is blowing, something that seems peaceful and life-giving, that breath, but Adam and Eve were past the point where they had rejected God. And so that breath of life wasn't affirming to them. It was terrifying. I hadn't really, I hadn't really considered this before, um, but there's a moment in Exodus when almost we see a reflection of the creation story again. Um, I just pictured it that way a little bit. When Moses, uh, in Exodus 14, 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east ruach all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. So this is a moment where God sent wind and pushed the waves apart so that Moses and the refugees from Egyptian slavery, all of the children of Israel could cross through on dry ground. Now, it is interesting. I usually have always pictured the story as happening in a moment, but they had to wait all night while the wind was blowing and swirling to dry the ground so they wouldn't sink in the mud. But this also, after all the time we spent thinking about creation and the themes in the Bible, I kind of see again that creation story. If you remember in Genesis 1, how the spirit was hovering over the deep where there was disorder and chaos, and he brought order and started to create and separate the water from the land. And you see this moment here where Israel is about to step out um, free from slavery and move into that era where they could be a nation. Um, It's almost like a creation moment again where God sent his Ruach, separated the water from the land so that they could, in a way, be reborn into their kingdom of Israel. And then if we jump to the New Testament, we hear the word pneuma used for uh, wind as well. In Acts 2, uh, we'll read verse 2 and 4. You probably know this one pretty well. We'll uh, definitely spend some time in March and April um, learning about this, this section of scripture. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the holy pneuma, and began to speak in other tongues as the pneuma gave them utterance. So there it's used to to mean spirit, um, but it's at the time when the wind came in and filled the room and filled them with his presence and his spirit. So speaking of spirit, we have in our culture a way that we picture spirit as kind of a if, if Dwayne was here in spirit, it would be Dwayne in a semi-transparent version of himself that couldn't pick up and touch things. That's kind of maybe all of our stories that we've developed, all of our cultural history. Um, but there really isn't that concept in the scriptures. Spirit isn't even that corporeal, that like defined. Spirit is more of just that essence, that being. Um, so it's really almost hard to draw out and define clearly. Um, but it's talking about their, the person. Um, so the spirit, 
Um, I know, and even in a, in a lot of modern um, culture, we even use the word Holy Ghost, which again has connections to a lot of those other Western culture things that don't really reflect in the scriptures, um, but it's a way that we understand it. But spirit is just that, that being. So spirit is actually used a couple different ways. Obviously, there's the spirit that kind of life that God gives us, but there's also kind of, if you see as a capital S in your Bible, it's talking about the spirit of God. Um, so in Psalm 104, chapter 29 through 30, we hear, we hear the writer saying, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their ruach, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your Ruach, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. So we're hearing he uses spirit, but we're also seeing the connection to creation again, that he can pull our Ruach away, and everything is dead. But if he sends his Ruach, everything is made new and recreated. Again in the Psalms, Psalms 33, uh, verses 6 and 7. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the ruach of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. So there God spoke and made the heavens. At the same time, he was also breathing, and his spirit was filling the world and bringing order. Calling back to Genesis 1 once again. Then, another way to... To understand this word ruach is to think of um, a lot of our translations, a lot of the way we would use in our language would maybe be soul. Um, But again, that's not a very defined concept in the scriptures. A good way maybe to think about it is our mind. The, The our internal person that gives us agency where we decide what we're going to do. We decide to do good, to do bad. Um, it's our, our ability to do that. Um, we can hear that a little bit. If we listen in Psalm 32 two, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose Ruach there is no deceit. So again, we kind of look at that. It's not really breath because your breath can't be deceitful. It's not really wind because wind can't be deceitful. It could be spirit. It's kind of touching a little bit, a uh, slightly different color of the, of the concept. It's kind of a, that's also the scripture that maybe Jesus was quoting when he approached Nathaniel and he said, here's, here's a man in whom there is no deceit. Um, and so he was, he was quoting that possibly. In whose ruach there is no deceit. Ecclesiastes 7.9 uses this concept again when it cautions us uh, to be patient and to be slow to anger. Be not quick in your ruach to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. And then again in Psalm 51, we probably know, a lot of us may know this scripture, when David was repenting in Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, this word shows up a a few different times. Create in me... A clean heart, O God, and renew a right ruach within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your holy ruach from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing ruach. So there we see David's desire for a right spirit, a right mind, and we also see the Holy Spirit. Um, he's asking the Holy Spirit to remain with him. 
so we've talked a little bit about the vocabulary. Now we'll get into a little bit of kind of the, the framework, the concept that we're covering today, which is that spirit of creation. We'll look at a few times when the spirit is present in that creation, and then we'll look at some examples of the spirit in recreation. So in Genesis 1, we have mentioned it already, verses 1 through 2. You probably can recite this by heart, and maybe you can even put in the Hebrew word as we read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Ruach of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now we hear that echo again. If we know the narrative of the Bible, we know the creation We know the rejection that man gave to God, that we turned away, that the world fell into corruption. We know that so many of the prophets kept promising the new creation. So if we jump ahead to the New Testament, to Jesus' birth and life, we see the beginning of that new creation, and we can hear the echoes of it. If we read Matthew 1, 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child, from the holy pneuma. And so in this moment, it's clear the spirit is there to generate life for Jesus, to generate this new creation. And if you picture back to that Genesis scripture, you can kind of picture this maybe. So in the darkness, in the depths of Mary's body, in her womb, where there was no life and there was no natural cause for it, the spirit was hovering and once again created something brand new. And, develop, and, and sparked that new creation. And then again, when Jesus was, uh, was about to enter ministry in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. The picture, he's standing at the water here. And the holy pneuma descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, With you, I am well pleased. So the Spirit is affirming in this moment, again, seeing that imagery and reflection at at a body of water, that uh, the Spirit is responsible for this, that the Spirit is what brought Jesus and is what will provide Jesus with his power and his uh, ministry. And then in Luke 4.1, and I know we have we have some good. I think we have some good praise and worship songs that touch on the the full concept. But a lot of times we have the picture of Jesus reaching the arm out, pulling us out of the water like he did Peter, and saving us from the dangerous place. But listen in Luke four one, Jesus, full of the holy pneuma, returned from the Jordan and was led by the pneuma in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And we see the spirit is kind of showing a little bit of that complexity of God's purpose again, where Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for a very specific purpose. So I know it's, it's, uh, it's for a very specific reason that Jesus had to undergo that temptation. Um, but it is a little bit challenging to our concepts of uh, maybe to like a, the prosperity concept that if we're following God, everything will be great, but he may lead us through the desert sometimes. But we see that moment where Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, and that's what gave him the strength to conquer that important moment in the wilderness. Again, reflecting the Genesis story out in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil. Um, 
But after this, after the spirit of creation in Genesis, and then again in the New Testament, we want to look at just some of the concept of recreation. This thing that we've just heard all the thousands of years in the Old Testament, the prophets have been calling for it. We've even been calling for it. Like we want the new creation. We want to see things finally made right. Isaiah thirty-two fifteen says, "Until the ruach is poured upon us from on high." And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. Isaiah is calling out the promise to the future where disorder and corruption and barrenness is overtaken. The spirit, by emptying out life-giving water, brings back purpose and life in abundance. So... The image that where the spirit is, there's fruit, there's life, there's fullness, and there's abundance. Even if it's something that has died and was once alive and has passed into death. We hear Isaiah cover this theme again in Isaiah 11. I think if I had the number of times in the themes and the lessons over the past couple years that we've read from Isaiah 11, just makes me feel like that maybe somewhere in the Bible... It's maybe a linchpin that's kind of holding everything together or the keystone or just if you tie all of those threads and knots together that somehow it's in there anchoring everything because it it reflects so many themes and it shows up so many times. But in Isaiah 11, we'll read verse 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Ruach of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Ruach of wisdom and understanding, the Ruach of counsel and might, the Ruach of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So where a tree has been cut down, yet a new tree can sprout and the spirit of God can bring that to fullness and life. And this is calling ahead to the prophecy of Jesus descending from the line of David and Jesse. Um, But we just see that the spirit is there bringing him power, wisdom, understanding, counsel, and knowledge and fear of the Lord. Ezekiel 36, uh, verse 24 through 28, part of Ezekiel's ministry was giving them promise about the renewal in a time of trial. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new Ruach I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my Ruach within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. So there we hear life, the spirit, that mind being set right. But we also hear God's spirit itself being sent to his people, not only bringing new life, not only transforming what's been hardened and calcified back into beating powerful flesh, but also guiding us into the right steps to stay in step with the spirit, to dwell where he has intended for us to dwell, to fulfill his promise.
And I just want us to think about Ezekiel for a little bit. We might not know him very well. He was a contemporary with several other prophets. Um, Ezekiel was going to be a priest in the temple. But when Israel fell, he ended up exiled in Babylon's empire, maybe 500 miles away from his home, in slavery again, captured by this evil empire that if there, if there was a kingdom that had an evil ruach, Babylon was one of them. Every, every word, every action, all their beliefs were contrary to God. So he's living with the exiles in this place. And he's been called in his career, instead of being a priest, instead of stepping up into the presence of God at the Holy of Holies maybe, or serving the temple, being part of the sacrifice, being part of that, that continual maintenance of God's presence, instead he's been called to call out the sin and the wrong in his people, in the other kingdoms, and then at the same time also give them promises of things that just seem so distant in the future, almost like he's giving them a fairy tale that everything will be okay. (laughs) And in all of that challenge and that hard time, um, there was a moment in his life where God told him in the morning that your wife will die today and you cannot mourn for her. I don't want you to change your clothes. I don't want you to shed a tear. You can sigh to yourself, but that's it. And it was because he was supposed to use that as a lesson to how they should respond when Jerusalem fell. So even in this exile, Jerusalem was still there. It was still a place they could get back to maybe. Maybe everything could turn around. But then Jerusalem also fell. So he lost the delight of his life, it says in Ezekiel. Then Jerusalem was burned to the ground. Judah was brought into captivity as well. All was lost. So against all of this backdrop of despair and pain, the the many crazy performance acts Ezekiel had to do just to try to demonstrate to people because they couldn't quite get what God was telling them. Um, In the midst of that, Ezekiel was called out into a vision that is a great example Um, really God orchestrated this vision so well in the way it's written, the way Ezekiel reports it. Um, We get to see the word Ruach used in almost every way it can possibly be used in the scripture. So let's read Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. And let's let's picture where Ezekiel is, the loss, the death, the, the aspirations that have been broken, the burned temple city, Let's um, just picture all of that as you hear Ezekiel called out into this vision. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Ruach of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. Behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, Oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause Ruach to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put ruach in you and you shall live and you shall know 
that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. Behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no ruach in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the ruach. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the ruach. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four ruach, O ruach, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the ruach came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our, drones, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my ruach within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So in this moment, when Ezekiel sees this amazing and magnificent vision come to life, and he understands that not only is God the God of creation, but God is the God of new creation. And that what has been created and died can yet see life again. When God points the metaphor directly at the house of Israel, he makes it clear that even though they have their own ruach right now, that they have their own breath of life in them, though they can walk and they can talk and they can live, they are living as mere beasts do. But when they know that he is the Lord, then his ruach or his spirit his breath will be in them, and only then will they truly live. In Romans 1, 3 through 4, just in the introduction to Paul's letter, Paul mentions the concept of the Spirit being the resurrecting force for Jesus. Concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the pneuma of his holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So if you can picture Ezekiel in that moment, standing in that valley against all the despair and death and destruction, you can picture Jesus' bones, his body laying in the tomb, still in flesh, but broken, no longer capable of breathing, thinking, moving, living, already breaking apart and decaying, returning back to the state of wild and waste and wilderness and chaos and disorder. But the spirit coming into the tomb, once again, the same spirit that had come into Mary's womb, the same spirit that had been in the Valley of Bones, the same spirit that hovered over the waters before all in that tomb, breathing life into Jesus allowing him to set up and be 
alive, to be recreated and to initiate that new era of recreation and new creation, to demonstrate for us what it is to be truly alive. In John 20, 21, we can hear echoes of Genesis uh, 2-7 again, when Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. This is after he's already been alive for a while. He's ministered. He's talked to them. He's been teaching them. Here he is in his glorified body, this new creation. And he said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Numa. They had been sheltering behind locked doors and hiding. Even after Jesus had made appearances to them, they were waiting and wondering, and what's next? Jesus was breathing into them saying, there's no more waiting. We've heard promises from the prophets. We, as believers, from the New Testament letters, we know there's a day when Jerusalem will descend from the heavens and sit in its rightful place, when the seas will be broken open and flood the plains and everything will be remade new. We wait for that physical day, but I think Jesus to his disciples here is sharing us that lesson that there is no more waiting. We can long for that day. We can carry that hope. But the Spirit is here. We aren't waiting until that day to become like Him. We're not waiting until that day to receive His Spirit. We're not waiting until that day to live in His new kingdom. The day that we've all been longing for in the physical realm is already begun in the spiritual realm. Our bones and our broken selves have already been breathed back into life. We've already been renewed and restored. His kingdom is already here. His breath is already here. We're just asked to receive it, to open our heart of stone, to allow it to be melted and broken into flesh as we fill our lungs with his ruach, with his pneuma, so that our mind and our body and our heart and our soul all walk in step with him. Let's pray. God, I breathe today, Lord, my own Ruach that moves my body to do what I want, to do what I want, when I want it, to seek my own desires. I live as a beast in the field like Nebuchadnezzar. God, today I pray that we we allow ourselves to die, that we allow our bodies to be a heap of bones in the valley, locked up in a tomb under the waters so that you could breathe your spirit into us. The spirit that you breathe in your disciples, that you would breathe it into us, that you would fill our lungs, that you would fill our hearts, our minds, and our bodies with the purpose that you want so that we like Ezekiel promised the, the children of Israel that we can know you and walk with you and know that you are Lord, that you can call us into our purpose, to our, our dwelling place, that we can be living in step with you 
in your spirit. Um, we'll just pray that you would witness to us today that presence of your spirit over this month as we focus on this desire to, to be with you, to be like you. And may, uh, may this concluding video summary just help us to carry these messages and themes home with us today. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy, how so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right, wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. <sighs> So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes. And the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's spirit. And so today, the spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. 
The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit.